Well, if you have your Bible with you, would you open up to John chapter 8? And this morning, we're unpacking another one of Jesus' most powerful statements. His statement gives us insight into who he is, his character, and his nature. The circumstances of life will attempt to discourage you and overcome your faith. But when you understand who Jesus is, that will alter your perspective and build up confidence to endure and persevere no matter what you're facing. See, if we've ever needed a time where we've needed our confidence to be built up, it's now. You know, when you understand who Jesus is, when that understanding impacts your life, it will fuel your prayers. It will comfort you in times of uncertainty. It will assure you when fear creeps in. And it will guard our peace when chaos surrounds us. You know, with so much uncertainty in our world today, we need to anchor our faith in the one who does not change. When we go through moments like this, we need to lean into God evermore. We need to trust that he will walk with us all the way to the end. See, I believe that as the church, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, I believe that God will answer us and God will bring an end to this virus. And so would you join me this coming week and let's pray that God would intervene in this situation but meanwhile, I want to encourage you, practice the six-foot rule. Stay six feet away as you interact with people. Uh, don't gather in groups larger than 10. And stay at home if you can. And, and together, with God's help, we will conquer this. Our last week, we looked at Jesus' proclamation that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Rest does not come from sleeping eight hours alone. Rest does not come from taking a vacation. But as we take on his yoke, that is his teaching, the Bible says that he will lead us to rest. And so this morning, we're going to continue looking at another profound statement that Jesus made found in John chapter 8. If you would read along or follow along with me, uh, John 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. And then verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray one more time. 
God, I thank you today that your word is for sure. I thank you today that we can lean upon your word, God. I thank you today that you hear us when we pray. And so, Father, I ask that today, whatever burdens we're carrying, whatever worries we're holding on to, that, God, we could lay them at your feet and that we could pick up your peace and your rest today. God, speak to each one of us in our time of need this morning that we may hear from you and we may know where your heart is, what your will is, and who you are in the midst of our circumstances. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as in the Old Testament, God gave us various names which defined his godship and his character. Jesus gave us names that identified him as our awaited Messiah and what he came to do. See, in today's message, his, his message in John 8 could not have been any more clear to his first century audience. But for you and I to understand fully what Jesus is saying this morning, we need to pick up the mindset of a first century Jewish man or woman. See, here in our setting, Jesus is teaching in the temple. And as one of Israel's three biggest celebrations is underway. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was one of three celebrations where every able-bodied man was to travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate. Often, if families could afford it, they would travel together and take part in this eight-day celebration. See, Jerusalem would be bursting at the seams as people filled every corner of the city. Now, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles had two special meanings. First of all, it was God's provision. As God delivered them out of the slavery from Egypt, it was a remembrance, a celebration of God's provision. But secondly, it was the start of God's fulfillment to bring the people to the promised land. So these two elements are a key part of the celebration that's taking place at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so as people converge on Jerusalem, the feast begins on a Sabbath day, a day of rest. And then for the next seven days, there would be singing and dancing and praying. They would go to the temple to read from the Torah and they would eat together in celebration. Also, one key thing that uh, highlighted this uh, Feast of the Tabernacles is that for these eight days, people would live in makeshift tents as a reminder of their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But one key element of this entire celebration was light. There was light. The entire city was illuminated during this time of celebration. You know, last year when I had a chance to go to Israel and we went to the old city, they had encased in this massive, uh, almost looked like one of those snow globes, this huge casing. You might see a picture online if you're watching of this huge four-foot menorah. I mean, this thing was massive, made out of pure gold. And this is one of four menorahs that would be in the temple that would be illuminated or would be lit during the time of the celebration and the entire temple would be illuminated with light. In fact, it was said during that time that people could find their way to Jerusalem by following the glow from the temple because it produced so much light during the celebration. 
See, the inclusion of light commemorated how God led the people from Egypt at night with a pillar of fire. See, light in the Bible has significant meaning in one relation as it relates to God. You know, the Israelites were trained to sing Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or in Psalm 139, it says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, when you're walking with God, when he comes onto the scene, even the darkest moments become like light because God himself is light. In John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, no matter what darkness you're feeling today, when you bring God into the picture, it pushes back darkness. Darkness can't invade light, but light pushes back the darkness. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 6 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. And then verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, light is a reference to the glory and to the might and the power of God. You know, if you traveled to Jerusalem during this time of celebration, Going to the temple was something you look forward to go to with great excitement. See, in, in the Old Testament, the, the temple was the only place you could go to meet with God. There was inside the temple a place where only the priests could go, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence resided on earth. And so as you traveled to Jerusalem for these three festivals throughout the year, you looked forward to going to the temple because it symbolized the presence of God, the power and the might of God. So Jesus, with this setting, he takes the opportunity to teach as thousands of people gathered, coming in and out of the temple. And his statement in verse 12, it may seem just poetic to us, but to his first century, to the first century Jewish man or woman, it had a significant point. He said this in verse 12 that we just read a few minutes ago, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, one quick note is that at the end of our passage, John makes an obscure comment. He said, Jesus taught all of this and spoke all of this in the treasury. That seems kind of an odd statement, but there's such significance that causes us to, to make note of this. See, Jesus chose to teach in the common area of the temple where men and women could be. See, there were only certain areas women were allowed into the temple at this time. But Jesus was making a point. He was making a, he was demonstrating how he was including women in a very male-dominated culture to, to partake in the kingdom of God. See, what this tells us is that God sees men and women equally. Although they are created differently, their difference doesn't diminish their value. It defines them. 
See, he welcomes men and women alike. And Jesus was clear about his desire to include women in his kingdom. Women weren't an afterthought or a second-class citizen, but equally deserving of knowing God and being an active part of his kingdom. You know, one thing about Jesus is that he was always intentional. There was no coincidence or casually spoken word. He was very methodical in everything he did. If Jesus had said something and you turned to the person next to you and said, did he just say that? Yeah, he just said that. He meant to say everything he said. He was intentional with everything he did. And our text this morning is one of those intentional moments that Jesus is teaching as uh, emphasized by his environment. So let's really quick recap and set the stage. Uh, Jesus is in the temple It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, The celebration is emphasized by light with these huge menorahs lighting up the entire temple, making night look like day. And then uh, it's in this setting that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. See, this was a very subtle but undeniable claim of his divinity as the one who gives light to the world. Just as God spoke light out of darkness in Genesis and created light, Jesus is saying, I am the one who gives light to this world. He goes on to say that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Psalm 119 says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light is also used in, as a metaphor as the Bible. See, God's light shines so that you can see where you're going, just as it did during the Exodus. And in John 1, Jesus is described as the word that was made flesh. It says this in verse 4 and 5, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, darkness can take on many different applications. See, it can mean something that we learn. We were in darkness, we didn't understand it, but all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and we have understanding. Or darkness can be a difficult time from your past or even in your present. Or maybe you're looking ahead to a difficulty and it's like darkness overcomes you. Or darkness could be circumstances that are overwhelming you because you can't see things clearly. You see very little hope ahead of you, and so it's like darkness coming over you. But I tell you most certainly that darkness, in, when Jesus is teaching here, is a reference to being blinded by sin. See, I don't know if you know this, but you have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. I need God's forgiveness and his strength to overcome this sinful nature. See, the thing about light is it's revealing. When you turn on the light, all of a sudden things that were in darkness become very clear. And it causes you to see things that were otherwise concealed. You know, when my three boys were young, they loved to build with Legos. 
and they could play with Legos for hours. It was great. It didn't cost a lot of money, and I could entertain them for the whole day. And they would spend all day out on the carpet building things with their imagination and making things. But you know what? As much as they enjoyed building with Legos, they didn't enjoy picking up all their Legos at the end of the day. In fact, if later that night you had to walk across the area that they were playing with Legos on and you didn't have lights on, you were guaranteed to find that one Lego that was left behind. I tell you, you want to talk about a sin nature, Legos can do that to you in the middle of the night. But if you turned on the light, you would be able to see very clearly where you're walking and you could avoid those sin-provoking toys. See, I've been following Jesus for 33 years and I've learned this truth is that the closer I get to him, the more I realize I need to surrender and I need his forgiveness. See, the closer I get to him, his light illuminates every crevice of my being and I realize how much I'm in need of forgiveness. But this is the encouragement that we get from this. Jesus reveals your sin not to judge you, but to deliver you from it. See, the only way that you can be set free from your sin, the only way you can be set free from your guilt, the only way you can be set free from your shame is God must reveal it to you so that you see it as it is and then tell him, ask him to forgive you because you want nothing to do with it anymore. See, God wants to set you free. He no longer wants you to be controlled by your sin or by your past. See, he's the only one who can make you free once and for all. Your new life begins when you receive God's forgiveness and follow him as the one who then illuminates your path. You know, as the story went on, The Pharisees opposed Jesus at every word he spoke. Every time he said something, it seemed like they were there in order to rebuke him or to attempt to correct him. See, the Pharisees, they were content with their rules. They were content with finding uh, a relationship or finding a peace in following all these rules and then making everyone else follow the rules. And they didn't like hearing that the rules were not enough. See, the rules lacked love. The rules lacked grace. The rules lacked mercy. And that's something that you and I need in excess. See, that's what we receive when we accept Jesus' forgiveness of our sin. And when we do that, he That's what enables us to be called sons and daughters of God. And that's what enables us to be able to follow him. See, if you're listening this morning and you're trying to be a good person or you're trying to live by a set of rules that helps you feel like you're mastering life, I need to tell you that it's not enough. That it will never be enough. See, you don't have to do any work to know God because Jesus paid that price for you. He did all the work so that you can walk and have a relationship with him. See, all you must do is receive it. 
It's a gift. And once you receive it, then you begin to follow him as he illuminates your path so that you can see clearly moving ahead. As we close this morning, if you're listening and you've never made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, you've never had the opportunity to move from darkness into light and to begin to see things more clearly, you can do it today. See, I remember when I was a sophomore in high school and I had given my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember I had this English teacher, Mrs. Bowen. And I didn't know before, but I learned after that she was a Christian. And one day after class, and it was right before lunch, I was talking with her and said, you know, everything seems so new. Like everything about life, everything that I used to do, all of a sudden seems new now. And I remember telling her distinctively, I says, colors seem brighter. Everything about life just seemed brand new. And I remember her, I could see it in my mind. She just threw her head back and started to chuckle. And she says, it's not everything, it's you. It's what God's done in your life and he's removed the darkness from your life and you're seeing things how he intended you to see from the beginning. And I want you to have that same experience this morning. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, you've never chosen to follow him, you can do it right now. You may be alone in your room, in your living room. You may be in your car. You may be somewhere else all by yourself. Well, that's all you need in order to call out to God. Simply confess that you need his forgiveness, that you're a sinner. Ask him to forgive you. And then choose to follow him every day moving forward. That's it. But if you're here this morning and you're watching, you're like, Pastor Mike, I am a Christian already. And it's only been two weeks since I've seen you. I haven't backslidden yet. It's okay. Well, I want to encourage you today because maybe you've gotten into the habit of following rules and routines. Maybe your relationship with God is established on good morals, but I tell you, it's more than that. Maybe you've gotten away from following him. That's reading his word and applying his word to your life. Maybe you've gotten out of the routine of prayer or just engaging in worship when it's you and him. I want to pray this morning that you'll reignite your passion for God. That this morning colors will seem brighter. That hope will be even greater in your life. I want to pray this morning that God would engage you again in a way just like he did when you first asked him into your life. But before I pray for you, if you're watching this morning and you want to ask Jesus Christ into your life, I want to pray for you. I want to ask God to make it real in your life today. So if you're sincere and that's something you'd want this morning, as I begin to pray, would you just ask God to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and to help you walk and follow him? Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning that you've come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Father, I thank you this morning that your son, Jesus Christ, is the promised Messiah who is our provision, who breaks us out of slavery, and who begins the process of taking us to the promised land that's heaven one day. And so, Father, I pray this morning for my friends who are watching. Some are making a decision right now to make you the Lord of their life. God, I pray that you would make all things new. 
I pray, God, that colors would seem brighter. I pray that hope would be brighter in their life. I pray, God, this morning that the depth of love they give and receive would be greater than it's ever been. God, make all things new in their life. So today, as they admit they're a sinner, today, as they believe in their heart that Jesus Christ died for them and rose from the grave, that they could have new life. And today, as they commit to follow you, God, you'll make all things new. And Father, I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters today that maybe they've gotten into a routine of religion, but they are not walking in relationship with you. You said that you convict us to lead us to repentance. So I pray that this morning we'd repent of that. That God, you would rekindle our first love for you. And God, remind us this morning that you are the light of the world. There's no other hope for this world or for humanity except your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that truth would possess every fiber of our being, every thought we have, every action we take. And God, in closing this morning, we pray for our world. God, only you can intervene at this point. We're doing as a human race all that we can do. But God, today we ask that you would help, you would intervene, that God, you would be with those who are making decisions, those who are making vaccines, those who are, are on, the fore, on the front lines of this uh, battle, that you would protect them, that you would keep them safe. God, we pray this morning that you would comfort those struggling with peace. You would comfort those who are surrounded by chaos and that today, God, you would be their hope. You would be the rock that they hold on to. So God, I thank you this morning that you are kind, you are good, you are gracious, you are faithful. God, make all of who you are real to us today. And we ask this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.